Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Coming to you from Michigan, USA. And listened to by people all over the planet. Get ready to be safe and sound with Sean Sparkman. Sparkman. Never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bow. Welcome to the Safe and Sound Podcast. This is your host, Sean Sparkman. I'm really excited to be bringing you today in person at the Durfee Innovation Society with Chris Lambert. We're going to talk all kinds of different things. This guy has a super interesting story. So, Chris, thank you for being on the show. What's up, Sean? Great to be here with you, bro. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are? I am a father of two amazing boys. I'm a husband. I'm a follower of this Jewish construction worker who lived about 2,000 years ago, was brutally murdered, came back to life and saved my life. And my mission in life is every single day I want to become a little bit more like him than I was the day before. I love it. And you're doing a lot of really cool things in the local Metro Detroit community, especially centered in the city of Detroit. And I know I actually helped work on the building that we're currently sitting in that you've helped really renovate and bring to it what it is today. So what led you to the city of Detroit? So there's a number of ways I could answer that question. I was born and raised in a very small town in northern Indiana. And when I say small town, I mean we didn't have a four-way stoplight until I was in middle school. So the words urban revitalization were two words I'd never heard put in succession before. (laughs) I I ended up studying business at Indiana University, and I was getting ready to go to law school and become a real estate developer. When my junior year of college, I decided to move to Australia for six months and study overseas. And while I was there, I had what I would call a radical encounter with God that changed the whole trajectory of my life. So basically what happened was a couple things. I began to travel around in Southeast Asia, the Pacific Rim, and of course Australia, and I began to realize the world was a very big place. It did not revolve around me and my 22-year-old ego, which really? was, was a big shock <laughs> at that time. All right? um, I also met a couple guys over there who were what, who were what I would call Jesus followers, And uh, they were pretty fun guys. They could go out to a bar, have a few drinks, and go home. Meanwhile, I'd stay out doing everything they weren't doing. Eventually, they convinced me to come to their church service, which I did. And while I was there, my third time attending, I actually actually experienced hearing God speak to me. And coming out of that experience, I had some pretty dramatic changes. The, The most significant being I really began to care about people for the first time in my life. So prior to that experience, I loved my mom and dad, my fraternity brothers, my friends, but I didn't give a crap about the rest of the world. So I moved back to Indiana University for my senior year, and before I left IU, there was not a single Jesus follower in this entire fraternity. 
before I got back, and this had nothing to do with me, my three best friends had all had these crazy spiritual experiences, and my drug dealer, who had an experience with God while he was in jail for selling meth, he got out. We got this Bible study going in the frat. We're all of a sudden leading dudes to Jesus left and right. I started thinking about my future. I'm like, I don't want to go to law school and become a real estate developer. I just want to help people follow God. So the only thing that made sense to me was to become a pastor. That's what I felt like God was calling me to do. So I moved out to Los Angeles, studied seminary, met the woman who became my wife. She was born in Romania, but moved to Detroit when she was two. She never wanted to move back to Detroit. She was raised in this ultra-religious family where men sit on one side of the church, women sit on the other. She wasn't allowed to hang out with a non-Romanian her entire upbringing. Our wedding had 650 people and 95% of them were Romanian. She didn't want to move back home. I didn't want to move back to the Midwest ever again because I loved L.A. I loved surf. I love crazy people. Um, and L.A. has both of those things. When it came to where we wanted to live, we both had this in common. We knew that we wanted to always live where there's a lot of diversity and where there's a lot of social need. L.A. had all that. But as we began to look more at Detroit, and especially me because I was looking at Detroit really for the first time, we, we began to look at the amount of investment happening in Detroit. Compared I thought to, you were going to say that you were looking for the amount of crazy people. Uh, well, <laughs> crazy people, the, the, the amount of crazy people, uh, you know, definitely increased as soon as my wife and I moved here. Right. But so we began to realize the amount of investment happening in Detroit was so much less than the amount of investment that was happening in L.A., and both of those cities had those two things in common that I just mentioned. And so over time, we actually felt a very strong sense of calling to Detroit initially to launch a church, which we did. But before we moved here, we actually moved to Africa for nine months. I lived in a mud hut in a Muslim village with no running water. And that's where I learned community development. And so through that experience, church to me had to be a way of life rather than an event. And so when I started this church, we tried all these different things to reach people who were marginalized. And that was in 2007. But it was in, in March of 2010, 10 years ago this month, that I first got the idea for Life Remodeled that led me on the journey where I am now. Well, congratulations on the 10-year anniversary. That's Thank pretty you. cool. Yeah, and you know, Life Remodeled is focused on community development, right? And it's really cool that you learn that through an experience living in a mud hut. You know, as most people, they learn something about community development if they go to school for it, right? But you had the actual real-life experience that you could bring back. And one of the things I love about your organization and you is that you actually care about people. You know, there's a ton of charities that are out there, and a lot of people don't know where should I put my money, where should I give my time, because sometimes there might be an ulterior motive, there might not be, but it's not transparent, right? And one of the greatest things about your organization is your transparency. If somebody wants to work with you, whether it's donating their time, donating their money, supporting you in any way, they know exactly what they're getting into. And that's one thing that's super important to me, and I know it's obviously incredibly important to you. Absolutely. And one of our mantras is this is life remodeled, not Detroit remodeled. Too often the typical models of charity have a very top-down approach where you have your benefactors and you have your beneficiaries. And the benefactors are seen as the superheroes in the story. And the beneficiaries are seen as the poor, poor people who don't have much to offer, but they need to accept these handouts so that maybe one day they can rise a couple steps up the ladder. And what we believe is in many ways, we're very much on equal playing field in that we all have a lot to offer. 
rich, poor, city, suburbs, you know, any race, any religion, you name it. And we all have a lot to learn from each other. And so I am a, a passionate, lifelong learner. And I'm also convinced we are better together. My faith drives everything that I do. But that said, I mean, Jesus loved everybody and with no strings attached. And that's the way I want to live as well. I love that you said that you're a learner because I talk a lot, if you listen to some of the past episodes, about learning, about always being a little bit better every single day. Because as a martial artist, there's the one the 1% rule. It's just get a little better every single day. We all know we're not perfect. And it could be getting better at your exercise, better at your relationships, whatever it may be, right? And that comes with learning. And I believe that learning from everybody is the key. And, you know, I've worked with people that are down here in the city, Detroit, to people that live elsewhere that have all kinds of different disparity in income or whatever it may be. But some of the best lessons that I've ever learned in my entire life have been from the people that have the least amount of money, things, whatever it may be. And they're just absolutely incredible people. So I love that it's about working together as a community instead of, you know, hey, here, do this or do that. I could not agree more in in terms of my experiences align with a lot of what you've shared. And I think one of the the big tragedies that we experience in our country and all over the world is, of course, people who gain wealth and means are trying to find the safest and the most secure and the best environment possible. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what that often does is it really creates a separation in society between your upper class, your middle class, your what you might call lower class in terms of income disparity. And it certainly created very real geographic separation amongst races, especially black and white. And one of the things that we see happening during our volunteer projects is 80% of our volunteers say that the day they volunteer with us, they experience positive change in their thoughts or feelings about people of another race, religion, political perspective, or socioeconomic status. And one thing I've found that in this polarizing environment that we find ourselves in right now in our, in our wonderful country of America, is if you get two people who are polar opposites on issues of race, religion, or politics, And you ask them to sit down at a table, look each other in the eye, have a conversation and work it out. Nine times out of ten, that's not a very productive conversation. (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) But if you can invite those same two people to work shoulder to shoulder on an action-oriented project that they both agree on, something magical happens. And that's why one of the things we're most well-known for, which you've participated in, is our six-day project. Yeah, I love it. And I'm, I'm excited for this year again, too. And for those of your listeners who don't know what that is, we basically gather over 10,000 people from all different walks of life, cities, suburbs, different races, different religions, many companies, you name it. And we work together. We beautify four square miles of Detroit in only six days' time. And so that next one's August 3rd through 8th, which is a Monday through Saturday. But that's really just a springboard to the much deeper work that we do. So out of that experience... Number one, we're doing really important physical work, um, transforming the city physically. This city had 1.8 million people. We now have only about 650,000. So there's no way the city and its residents can be expected to manage all this blight ourselves. We need the assistance of volunteers from the suburbs as well. Um, But out of that come real relationships that translate into the much deeper work that we're doing where we repair owner-occupied homes throughout the year for homeowners. But the bigger piece is what's happening right here, right now in this building that we're sitting in. This is a former school building. 
that we have repurposed into a one-stop shop of opportunity. It's called the Durfee Innovation Society. And basically what it is, is it's a, a building that houses 37 different organizations that we selected. So in essence, we're the landlord, but so much more than that. Because we're doing more than bringing together the best and brightest nonprofits and several entrepreneurs, but we're helping them become better together by creating an ecosystem where they become better organizations and the people they serve have access to higher levels of opportunity. And so in short, to be a tenant here, you have to be an organization that's moving the needle on one of four areas, either one education, two workforce development, three entrepreneurism, or four human services. And that's what we're now seeing happen with, we've, we've got every room in this building full but two, and we're just really scratching the surface on what's about to happen. Well, that's great. Let's uh, reverse back real quick. You talked about the six-day event. Now, I know, but just for people that are listening, they don't have to come to all six days, right? You know what? I, I got to clarify that more and more because I just take it for granted that, that people would understand that, but I cannot tell you how many times... People eventually ask me, you know, wow, you really expected me to take a whole week off? <laughs> no. You, what you just said is accurate. The vast majority of people come for one day and one day only. So we volunteer from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can literally come at any time during that time. It's like a party. We hope that you're going to RSVP, um, but we know some of you won't. And so we're, we're really planned for everyone who shows up. The, almost everybody does RSVP, and they register through our website. Most volunteers are coming from companies or churches or right here from the community. Yeah, and the companies and churches, you create different sponsoring things for them and T-shirts and things like that, right, for people that are interested? Exactly. So companies and, and groups get their own color of shirt. They choose whatever their company logo color is, and then they put their logo on the back of their shirt. We actually do that for them. And that way you're able to tell, hey, here's the volunteers from General Motors or Quicken Loans or Tobman or, or, or um, you know, any company in particular. We have over 180 companies that donate at least $1,000 a year or more to our cause uh, and over 300 organizations that volunteer with us. So we provide all the tools. We even provide you a free lunch and a free T-shirt. And we organize a fantastic experience so that you can get here and get to work and make a real impact. And there's literally something for everyone. If you say, hey, I don't, I'm not in a place to be doing you know, physical labor, you can help serve food, you can help with registration, you can help hand out water. There's something for everybody. But the last thing I'll say is you do have to be at least 14 years of age. That's one question we get a lot. Hey, can I bring my kids? And the answer is yes, if they're at least 14 years of age <laughs> or older. Okay. And I can tell you because I have clients that are right here in this general area that I've sat down with in their homes, how much these people appreciate what you and your organization are doing and the effort. And you know what? They get out and they help because they know it's their community. And to have all these people in here, it really changes. And like you said, brings people together. And that's you know one of the reasons that I want to sit down and talk with you today is get more people involved with this because we can really make a positive change in what a lot of people that aren't from Detroit see as a city that, you know, in a lot of ways could be, you know, a third world country. I've heard people refer to it that way. You know, there's a lot of negative connotation when somebody hears the word Detroit if they're not from the city, right? Yes. So we have overcome a lot of that. We have a long, long way to go as a city. So let me talk about a couple stats. One, right now, 
only 14% of kids in Detroit schools, public and charter, are currently able to read at grade level. At the school right next to us, Durfee, uh, the third grade through eighth grade students, out of all of them, only 1.2% of kids are able to read at grade level as we speak right now or are proficient at math. 76% of the high school kids are chronically absent. And there are so many factors that contribute to these situations that we find ourselves in, right? I mean, um, some of the work that we've done in the past, we used to work on existing high schools. And for example, we put a new roof on Osborne High School. And I didn't believe this until I saw it for myself. It, when it rained outside, it literally poured on the kids during class. There was tra- were trash cans filled with brown, moldy water collecting the rain. I mean, it, it, was, uh, it was something that I didn't even believe existed in the United States. And I knew that if this would have been north of 8 Mile, this would have been a national news story. But because it was in Detroit, it was just another day. So to go back to those statistics of, of academic achievement right now, one of our goals with this Durfee Innovation Society is that within five years, we want to help Durfee and Central, which now is located in the Central High School building 100 yards away from us and is home to about 900 kindergarten through 12th grade schools. I mean, 900 kindergarten through 12th grade students. We want to help those schools become the most improved schools in Detroit within five years. And our theory of change is that now that we've created access to high-quality after-school programming that kids can walk to, that's going to help them to be able to move the needle and not just read at grade level, but really thrive and be the the young men, the young women that they're meant to be because a child's zip code that they're born into should not determine their destiny in a negative way. I agree 100%. And, you know, Detroiters are some of the most resilient people that you ever meet in your life. My family, we, you know, my great-grandparents, they were in the city of Detroit long, long ago. And we I was born and raised right here in Metro Detroit, and I've worked inside the city. And I absolutely love the people here, whether it's the suburbs or inside the city itself. We're just a great society, and a lot of people aren't aware of that. And I love that we're really starting to break down the walls between the suburbs and the city itself so that we can really create effective change. And I love that, you know, Dan Gilbert is bringing in some, you know, more money and development down in Midtown. And with what you're doing, I think it's all starting to really go in a positive direction. Yeah, you bring up a really good point about how important it is to talk about the talent that's here in Detroit, the talented children, the talented youth, the talented adults who don't get the the recognition that they deserve and now finally are starting to. And so let me just tell you one story. One of our newest tenants is the Detroit Youth Choir, which many of your listeners have heard of because of America's Got Talent. Did, did you know about them? I actually didn't. Okay. So <laughs> I actually never watched America's Got Talent until this last year because the Detroit Youth Choir ended up getting something called the Golden Buzzer. All right. It's when you get sent straight to the finals because you're that amazing wow. of, of a group. That's amazing. And in the history of America's Got Talent, no choir has ever won. Long story short, these guys captivated the hearts and minds of America. They won second place, all right? And the, the kid that beat him, his name is Cody Lee. The kid is autistic and blind. Wow. And, and, and yeah, wow. <laughs> I mean, an unbelievable performer. Yeah, but that's these amazing. kids rocked it on the stage. And here's the deal. 
The Detroit Youth Choir has existed for 20 years. Anthony White is the founder. This guy's putting in his work every day for the last 20 years on top of being a school teacher, teaching music. And uh, very few people outside of Detroit knew who the Detroit Youth Choir was. They are now performing in Vegas. They're performing in New York. They just got the key to the city given to them by the mayor. Every kid in the Detroit Youth Choir just got the key to the city right here in our building this past Saturday. And several foundations came together and said, you know what? You didn't win the million dollars on AGT, but we're going to give you the million dollars right now. So they just gave them a million dollars this past summer. But all of that says, look, the Detroit kids have just as much talent as anybody else in the world. Right. But talent is evenly distributed around the world, but opportunity is not. And so when given the opportunity to shine, these kids crush it. And so that's what we got to be in the business of is creating opportunity. I told you about a school building that didn't have a roof that, that kept the water out. That's just the tip of the iceberg. I'm talking classrooms that didn't have a math teacher for an entire year. And all that's changing now because we finally got the school system out of state control where an emergency manager um, was really causing some serious problems in our district. We now have a fantastic superintendent and school board and companies and others and churches are getting together and rallying around. And uh, there's really a, a lot of hope for the future of the city of Detroit and its incredible residents and children. It's awesome. So you're obviously an entrepreneur doing what you're doing in order to create this change and you promote it and that's why you have an entrepreneurship part of the Durfee Innovation Society, right? Yes. Yeah. So the reason I bring that up is I want to talk a little bit about you as a person, which you started off in the beginning. But on every single one of my episodes, I talk about something that's near and dear to my heart and that's failure. And I talk about failure because you cannot be a successful person without failing. And no matter who you are, you're going to fail more times than you ever succeed. It's a matter of what do you do with that failure and how do you use it as a way to become a little bit better as a person and grow from it. So can you talk a little bit about how failure has affected you in your life? I'd love to. Oh, man, I've failed so many times. Before I talk about that, I, actually, it's funny you call me an entrepreneur because I didn't even call myself an entrepreneur until 2017 when I was a part of uh, a worldwide entrepreneurial um, accelerator for 12 leaders. I'd started a church, I started a nonprofit, but I just thought, oh, I was a church planner. Oh, I started a nonprofit, but I didn't realize that was an entrepreneur. Now I've come to discover these really are my gifts and my passions. And that's really important to understanding you know, where to put my time and energy. So, so many failures. The biggest organizational failure uh, that we've ever had was due to my leadership and my ignorance. And it really revolves around this project in particular. So before this project, we were renovating existing high schools in Detroit, putting about $5 million into each neighborhood. So we'd spend one year per neighborhood, one year in Cody, one year Osborne, one year Denby. When we came to this neighborhood, when we were invited, we were going to do the same thing. We were going to renovate Central High School. And we met with the principal. We learned that Central High School used to have 4,000 high school students. They only had about 300 at that time. Wow, that's and a big difference. And what the principal wanted us to do was take the whole first floor of the building, turn it into a business incubator, and create proximity between entrepreneurs and high school students. We loved the idea. We said, let's make sure the district is cool with it. We took it to the district. They said, we love it, but you can't do it at Central. Why not? Because we're going to move all the kids from Durfee, which was a kindergarten through eighth grade school building, the building we're in right now, we're going to move them all into the high school, and why don't you guys take Durfee? 
So at first we said no because we thought that's too big of a project. Then we said yes because we realized this could have more impact than everything we've ever done combined. So when we first came in the community, the, community, the leaders thought we were going to renovate Central High School. Everybody was excited. Then we told them, hey, plans had changed. DPS asked us to renovate Durfee instead. Here's what we're going to do with it. Everybody seemed to be pretty supportive of it. Sounded great. But what we didn't tell them is that we were going to be acquiring this building for $1 a year for 50 years. And we weren't allowed to talk about that negotiation of that deal publicly. So that's why we didn't tell them, right? That's what was going to happen. Well, I completely misunder I completely underestimated the response that we would get. I actually thought people would be happy that we got this building for a dollar and we were going to do all this good. Well, what happened as soon as the deal was signed and we made it public, several people, in fact a lot of people, were downright pissed that we got this building for a dollar. And we had already had a lot of community meetings that went amazing. And so we had another community meeting to talk about this. We had an open mic night. Over 250 people showed up. The first guy that grabbed the mic, his name is Andre McCullough. I can tell this story because we're very good friends now. But when we first met, we were pretty serious enemies. And so Andre and about 20 people that night ripped me to shreds, called me a colonizer, said Life Remodeled is going to come in here and gentrify the neighborhood and move in a bunch of white people and kick out everyone who's black. And people said, I lost my house for a dollar and you got this. I mean, I lost my house and couldn't buy it back and you got this building for a dollar. And I've tried to get a building and I've never been offered a building for any kind of deal like this. You only got it because you're white. And race became a huge subject. And another community meeting we held was even worse. There was crying, screaming, yelling. And at that point, I realized I needed to shift a whole lot of my time away from just fundraising and vision casting. I needed to spend even more time breaking bread with people in the community and find out why do they feel this way. Because at first, I was so caught off guard since we had had nothing but great experiences in the previous neighborhoods we'd been in. I was shocked. Why, why is this going so badly, right? And what I learned through conversations with people is, is that in the past, we would go in and out and we never acquired real estate. So we were never a threat to the community. Now that we'd acquired this very beautiful uh, real estate, we're seen as a potential gentrifier. And I, as I listened to people's stories about displacement and gentrification, I realized, you know, they're not talking about stories from the next episode of The Twilight Zone. They're talking about lived historical experiences. And so one way that I can understand gentrification is to say, I love downtown Detroit. I love good food. But, you know, it makes me sick to my stomach when I can go to any of my top 10 favorite restaurants and often not see a single black person, including staff, in a city that's 82% black. And if I feel that way, I can only imagine how my black brothers and sisters feel. Or I don't know if you've ever seen neighborhoods like Cabrini Green in Chicago, where everybody who was of color, almost everyone was displaced. And now it's this super uh, wealthy, gentrified community. And so people began to explain to me their concerns. And I realized there were power dynamics at play in our work. And it's kind of like this. The reason people didn't tell us how they felt in the past is because we were in and out. And there was all this money on the line. So, for instance, if Bill Gates were to come into my life and say, hey, Chris, I'm going to give Life Remodeled $5 million over the next year. And if we were to hang out a few times, and I'm going to be honest with you, if I ever saw anything in Bill's life that I really didn't like, I probably wouldn't challenge him on it. 
because you could fill in the blank. Yeah, it's $5 million on the line. Exactly. I get it. But in this case, we had pushed people too far. We were seen as a gentrifier. And now I understand where they're coming from because that is typically what happens. When a developer, especially if they get a property for a dollar, people are wondering what else are they going to scoop up? What are they going to do with it? And so fast forward uh, eight months after that first encounter with Andre McCullough, we still weren't seeing eye to eye. Andre and I weren't. We'd made a lot of great relationships with a lot of people in the community that were originally against what we were doing. Now we're working together. Well, eight months later, we had our first six-day project in this community with 10,000 volunteers. Andre called me up on day two. He said, I got to tell you something. He came over to this building, met me in the gym, gave me a big hug in front of about 10 people. He said, I'm 58 years old. I've lived here my whole life. i never seen anything happen in my neighborhood in the last two decades compared to what you all have done in the last two days. I'm in. So Andre joined the Life Model Community Advisory Council, which consists of 10 residents in this community who constantly inform us on what the community wants. We also have two youth advisory councils next door, one at the junior high, one at the high school. And the truth is, I've learned more from Andre than he's learned from me. But if you ask him, he'd probably say the same thing. I mean, I, actually, I know he would. He says it. And that's, again, why we call this life remodeled, not Detroit remodeled. I'm going to be the first to say my life needs just as much remodeling as anybody else. And it's, it's, it's a lot easier to get excited about remodeling someone else's life. It's a lot less exciting to look in the mirror and say, hey, where's the mold behind my own drywall and the busted pipes and the, the cracked foundation, and let's get to work. Well, the greatest part about that story is your openness to learn. You know, you already talked about how you're a learner. And, you know, there's a, by the Gallup organization, this theory of people spend too much time on their weaknesses. Because you can work on your weaknesses forever, but you're not going to be as effective as if you would just strengthen your strengths and make those strengths even better. And one of the things that I'm learning from you is that you're a learner, and I'm a learner, and that's probably why I, you know, I recognize it so much. So taking that and using it and being open to those experiences is huge because it t- you took what was a failure, and it ultimately it turned into a great success because now you have these relationships in the community that are even stronger than they were when you began. Because as I'm sure you can attest to, anytime there's a, a contentious person in your life and that person eventually turns and becomes somebody that you're aligned with, that relationship's 10 times stronger than somebody that was aligned with you in the first place. Yes. And everything you describe describes one of our core values. It's something we call bold humility. All right. And that's a paradox because usually you don't hear those two words coming one after the other. But if you're a person who's only bold, you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah. If you're someone who's only humble, you're a doormat. And so bold humility is a posture of which someone knows who they are. They know their identity. They know their strengths. And they're not ashamed of them, right? And they're proud of them. And they're moving forward with confidence. But they do so in a way that recognizes we need to value other people more than ourselves. We're lifelong learners. We have more to learn than we have to give. And when it comes to a sticky situation, I find that that posture is the most effective posture to navigate through any challenge in life. And so when we fail, we fail forward, right? We fail boldly and humbly. And we admit when we fail, we are transparent, we're vulnerable. I tell this story all the time because I want people to know, man, yeah, I fail. 
And I want everyone around, and I want everyone a part of Life Remodeled to be able to be vulnerable and transparent when we do fail, learn from it, and become better people. I love it. And you know what? There's a lot that a lot of entrepreneurs can learn from you because they may not be in the space of charity like you are, and they may not even be a Christian or have anything or want to do anything with that, but they can learn from who you are as a person and that bold humility because that is true. I mean, if you look at the people who are out there that have a high level of arrogance or pride, it's okay to have pride, but when it gets in the way of you learning and becoming better and continuing to move forward, that's where we start to have issues. So that's why I want to talk a little bit about the entrepreneurship. And then here in the building, what do you guys do to support it? So we have two different tenants that focus specifically on creating entrepreneurial opportunities. One of them is called uh, Gene Grass Global, and they actually are working on a $5 million fund for entrepreneurs who are going to launch in this building or within a one-mile radius. They also help entrepreneurs and all for-profits and nonprofits measure social impact. And so we've actually contracted them to help every single one of our tenants measure their social impact. And then we have another group called Grand Innovation that works with entrepreneurs at all stages, everything from helping them get the right idea to the right business plan to access to funding. And so they work primarily with Detroit entrepreneurs of color, and they've deployed over $5 million into Detroit neighborhoods through a variety of of entrepreneurs. And so that organization used to be located on the riverfront, but what they found is that many of the people that were visiting them felt a lot more comfortable coming into this space than they did in the downtown space, which I mentioned has really become a very gentrified area and community. And so we also house several entrepreneurs here. We have a music producer. We've got a a retail store here that sells clothing. And actually that store is run by a, a female Detroit firefighter who lives only five houses away from here. Oh, that's awesome. So we want to be a launching pad as well for several organizations. But we're more focused on the the fact that entrepreneurism creates jobs um, than we are just doing entrepreneurism for entrepreneurism's sake. I like that. And I love entrepreneurs because I believe that our country was built on individuals that communicated with each other through the means of small local businesses. Because if you look at the culture of our nation... We're all together, but we're not. You know, we're constantly separate, separated, even though we have all the social media, all these different ways that we can communicate, uh, you know, every second of the day. <laughs> you know, I mean, everything like this podcast, right? And, you know, we're still more separate than we've ever been. And that's because if you look at through history, the small business has died over the last 50 years. And though there's no longer that like mom and pop store where you pop in and you build a relationship with the people that are there and then they, they connect you with other people and it brings that community together. And that's one of the things that I love about, you know, entrepreneurs like, you know, me and my dad, we run a little small business and everything we do is about building relationships in our business because I believe that relationships are the most important thing in life. It doesn't matter what the stuff is. doesn't matter what's around you. It's about who is in your life and what is the quality of those relationships and how do you extend that out to other people. So what you guys are doing is absolutely incredible in that space. Yeah, and I also want to add to that in that I think entrepreneurism is one of the most effective ways to shape culture. That's why I really believe in something called redemptive entrepreneurship. And that comes from my my spiritual view of the fact that I believe God wants to redeem all things. And so it's not just creating an organization 
that uh, maybe accomplishes something good or um, has a good product, but it's about how we take care of our employees, right? It's about how we conduct ourselves ethically and, and above and beyond being ethical and really being servants and being lovers of people. It's about how we shape the world and not only what we say, but how we say it, not only what we do, but how we do it. And again, entrepreneurship is such a powerful force to shape society. I love it. Well, Chris, I want to rack things up a little bit here. We're running a little bit short on time, but I really loved this conversation. I know we're going to have another one of these at some point. I know I'm going to be back down here to help out with the six-day event. I don't have any days I'm going to do, but <laughs> as many as I can. And, you know, is there anything I could have asked you that I haven't asked you about? Um, I think you pretty much nailed it, man. I don't want to take up any more of your listeners' time, but uh, I appreciate what you're doing, just going out there and uh, using your skills, your gifts, your talents to um, help connect people to various opportunities. So we're honored to be a part of it as your first nonprofit charity podcast. Yeah, yeah. This is the first nonprofit that I've had on. I'm excited. Like I told you uh, before we started recording, I'm going to be doing one with uh, the Grace Centers of Hope next week. And so that's going to be an exciting one to release as well. And, you know, just the whole idea of this podcast is the Safe and Sound podcast is building a lifestyle. And to have a safe and sound lifestyle, that's everything from your, uh, you know, whether you can defend yourself or not, to where is your health at, your fitness, where is your finances at. And then, of course, you know, for those that are interested, where is your spiritual life at? And, of course, you know, just your life in general and connecting people because that's the most important thing like we talked about. So thanks again for coming on the show. Is there anything else you want to add? No. God bless you guys. People that want to learn more about you, where can they go? They can go to our website, liferemodel.com, L-I-F-E-R-E-M-O-D-E-L-E-D.com. Great. Thank you, Chris, for being on the show, and thank you all for listening. We're going to be bringing more to you in the future here. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to Safe and Sound Radio with Sean Sparkman. Sean Sparkman. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic for future shows, contact Sean at 313-246-9278 or visit the website at www.safeandsoundretirement.net. That's www.safeandsoundretirement.net. I must leave. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.